We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Well, I hope that you had a great 4th of July. I trust that um, some of you have got some needed rest. I know it's a busy week and late nights, and so uh, we're still pushing along for those who have not been here through the book of 1 Peter. And we're dealing with every issue that comes up. And let me tell you, we've had some tough ones that have come up. And uh, being that I'm still in, in employed after the last two weeks, uh, I trust the Lord has great work for us here Uh, over the next several chapters of this book. and For the last four weeks, we've been dealing with Peter's response to the Christian's relationships. Peter has talked about how we are to deal with the government. He's talked about how we're to deal with uh, our relationship with bad bosses or un- nice slave masters. And then we've also looked at how to deal with relationships within our family. Last week we spoke about the husband's responsibility within the family relationship and how they were to work on their relationship with their wives and also with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would pray that uh, after that study that your marriage would begin to turn for the better and that your relationship with Jesus Christ would explode in which I hope will result in great joy in your life and in your marriage. This week we're going to finish up this section of the Christian's uh, or Peter's response to the Christian relationship. And we're going to be looking at this portion of Scripture that's speaking about Peter's exhortation to the Christian's relationship within the church. And boy, that's fitting for all of us. Now, I made some changes to my outline as, as I wanted to better communicate the ideas that I'm pushing of the Christian's relationship. And so, I encourage you, you can make changes to yours just so that you understand what's happening within these passages. So with that said, let us get into our text this morning. If you would, turn with me to the third chapter of the book of First Peter. We're going to be looking at verses 8 to 12. First Peter... Chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. I'm reading from the New American Standard. If, if you don't have your Bible this morning, you're welcome to follow along on the slides. He says this, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for that very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love, to see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There are a few things that I would like for you to see in this text that really drew my attention and I think are great principles that we can add to our daily lives. And one that will help, hopefully help unify our body here in this local church, this local congregation. And here Peter simply lays out these items. He says, first, Peter tells us to obtain six godly qualities or principles, whichever one you prefer. And then secondly, Peter illustrates the difference between good and evil. 
Here Peter is writing again, don't forget, to a people who are being persecuted, who are going through a hard time and, and living under a brutal government by a man by the name of Nero, if you remember. And Nero, if you recall, used to play sports with killing Christians. And many of them were even dipped in oil, set fire to light up Rome. This man was a brutal man. These people were being persecuted and treated harshly for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this may be even hard for us to understand in our own day and in our own culture because we don't see things like this. We don't deal with things like this. We get to come and worship freely, but these people are under great persecution of their day. And so, he's just finished telling them in the last few uh, verses to submit to submit to harsh government, to a bad boss or to a bad master, and to an unfair and even maybe unbelieving husband. And now Peter continues to exhort these people that are having such a difficult time. <clears throat> but this time he addresses the whole group. Okay, it's differently. He's addressed those with the relationship with the government. He's addressed those in the relationship in the workplace. He's addressed those wives in the, in the home and the husband and their responsibility. And now he's put them all together and now he's making one big address to everyone within the household of faith. And so men, they had a break. Women, they had a break. And now we're back to everyone. And so how is it that we can live a joyful life in light of our circumstances? Here this passage brings to, to light a quote from Psalms chapter 34. Here King David has been writing this and this psalm and he's most likely living in a difficult situation, a hard time as he's probably running and hiding from King Saul as he's trying to kill him, hidden in a cave. But yet, even in the midst of this type of lifestyle, he for some reason has joy. And that's what this chapter is about. How we can have a joyful life and bring unity within the body of Christ together. And so, how is it that we in our relationships to one another in this church and within the universal body of Christ, all the churches across the world can live joyful lives together? That's what the question is. And I never thought you'd ask, so I'm going to answer that. Excuse me, I'm sick, so I'm drinking because I'm pretty dry this morning. Well, Peter's going to give us in the insight on how we can... But I, I prefer saying how we are going to become more unified within the church. And I say become because I expect that God is here today and that He's going to empower us to do this. Not in ourselves, not in our own ability, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that He has given each one that is in the universal body of Christ. And so if you will, let us look at point number one. Peter tells us to obtain six godly qualities. Now there may be some on this list that you already have. There may be some on this list that you're already doing. And that's great and I hope so because really these six qualities are all fruits of the Spirit so to speak. Qualities that anyone who is in the, the relationship with Jesus Christ should already be obtaining. Now, I understand it's not my job to tell you that you don't obtain these things. It's simply my job to present these items to you and for you to evaluate your life to see if you truly have these qualities or not. But listen, if you don't, 
Don't be discouraged because by looking at these, we can begin to pray that God will make us more into the image of Christ. Because the reality is that these qualities are all brought about in the image of Christ. Who Jesus Christ was. You may be closer to that image than others. You may be just getting started. And so my hope is that we can all become better brothers and sisters in Christ to one another and to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Verse 8 and 9 really deal with a blessing. It's not dealing with with anything about us, but it's dealing with us giving others a blessing. And so, he starts out with this, to sum up. Now, you could say, finally, I like that a little bit better. That's what the ESV gives. But it's like he's saying, we've talked about this, we've talked about this, we've talked about this, and now I will finish saying what I have to say. He says, first off, one of the six is all of you be harmonious. Now, uh, this simply means that we should be of the same mind. Okay? Uh, uh, One mind. What do you mean, Stuart? Well, the Greek word here used is homophrons. Okay? It's where we get our word homosexual. The same sex. We should be of the same mind. Okay? And so, Romans 15.5, I find it very interesting that they use the same idea here as he says this. Now, may the Lord who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ, so that with one accord you may, with one voice, glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling us we need to be of the same mind. He Philippians 2, 2, he says this, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind and maintaining the same love and united in spirit intent on one purpose. And so, really, all of these point to some kind of unity within the household of faith. We all should be unified in the way we think about who Jesus Christ is, His purpose for our lives here on earth, and in and also in the Bible, in our understanding of biblical teachings. We are called to be of the same mind. Not just our little church set down here in this beautiful place between two mountain ranges, Sealy Lake, Mission Bible Fellowship, but in the universal body of Christ. There should be something that we can be unified within. If you're from another state, if my father's from South Carolina, he comes here, we should have unity within the body of Christ. We have something in common. And so we need to be of the same mind. The church, uh, in the beginning of Acts, if you remember, they were all in the same mind and they were doing powerful things. Now, while we can't change the universal body of Christ, what we can change is and begin to work on is our local church here in Sealy Lake and becoming of the same mind. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about us agreeing on things. 
We need to be of the same mind when it comes to the apostles' doctrine. The, the Bible, that was what that is. And don't, don't mistake me here, it's not talking about becoming unified with unbelievers. That's not what we're speaking about. We're talking about being unified within the body of Christ. We don't need to make partnerships with, with unbelievers or different cults in the community because they're not of the same mind, they're not of the same ministry. These cults, listen, they're great people. They're, they're probably some of the nicest people you ever meet. But the doctrine in which they're teaching will lead everyone who gets under it to hell if they don't get the right doctrine. Now, I know that there are some things that we can agree as Christians to disagree on. And, and I'm very understanding in that. There's a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that I disagree with. They disagree with me. And we simply agree to disagree on. But in order that we disagree or agree to disagree, we better have some strong biblical support of why we disagree with one another. Not just some good opinion. Now, some things are non-negotiables, like the deity of Christ, like the resurrection of Christ, like salvation by faith alone, like the inerrancy of Scripture. We need to agree on these kind of biblical things because they are non-negotiables. Because these list of qualities bring about a good and joyful life. This world will offer you temporary happiness. It happens every day when you watch TV. They, they offer you this happiness. But listen, I'm not here to make you happy this morning. Because happiness is cheap. I want you to have joy in Jesus Christ, regardless of your circumstance, so that you can stand under a time in which you are persecuted for your faith. Now, we look at the life of Solomon. You would have to think that this man would have been the happiest man around. He had everything that you can imagine. He had the most money, the biggest houses, the nicest horses, uh, carriages or whatever. He had the most beautiful women around, multiple women. He was living at large. But this is what we find in Ecclesiastes 2.17. He says this, So I hated life. For the work which I had done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futile and striving after the wind. Here Solomon hated life, but when we look at his daddy David, running for his life, hiding in a cave, writing these psalms, he finds joy in God. He says in Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That was his attitude. He understood, though I'm down and low, God will save me because that's what he does. He also says this, secondly, we need to be sympathetic. Romans 12, 15 gives us a great definition of what this is. And it simply means this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, in our church, just here in our local church, we have many believers who are going through hard times. We have many who are filled with tears and weeping and sorrow. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, listen, this doesn't have to be a public thing. The question that you have to ask yourself is, do you get down on your knees and you pray for those people who are in pain and who are hurting? And do you rejoice with those who are rejoicing? Those who are up on the valley, up on top of the hill, not down in the valley. Do you rejoice with those who are on the valley? And do you weep with those 
who are down in the valley? That's the question. We need to have feelings towards one another. Y'all have known each other a lot longer than I have known you. Many of you I don't really even know. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we have a genuine love for the brethren? Do we look out for one another? You know, I have a brother. I love my brother. We've had fights growing up. But I love him. If he weeps, you know what? I'm probably going to weep with him. Because I truly love him. And when he's rejoicing, I'm going to rejoice with him because he's my brother. And though we may have disagreements, and though we may have fought and pinned each other in between the bed and beat each other half to death, I love him. And I'm going to rejoice with him and I'm going to weep with him. And we need to do the same thing because, listen, though my brother and I have the same father, you and I and you and each other have the same Heavenly Father. And we need to have feelings toward one another. You know, we live in a culture when it's all about me, I, and me. And we need to be careful that we're not so inward focused that we're not focused on anybody else. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says this, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. For one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. We need to feel sympathy for what happens to one another in the body. Because I tell you what, if I slam my finger in the door, my whole body hurts. And if something happens to one of our members... And they're going through something that should affect the whole body because we are connected through Jesus Christ. Let us have more sympathy for each other. Let us look for that in the next year. This is a a process. It just don't happen overnight. We have to be intentional. It's not natural (laughs) to care about others. It's natural to care about you and your household. We need to intentionally focus on being sympathetic. Listen, when it doesn't go the way you want it, keep sympathy in mind. When things don't happen the way you want them to happen, keep a mind of sympathy. We are all striving to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. They're serving their King. You're serving your King. We are all growing. We're all at different places and we need to be sympathetic. When someone is hurt, and they're having family issues, marriage issues, children issues, job issues, whatever issues, let us care and pray for that person. Let us be sympathetic and no longer be cold and uncaring. He calls us to be sympathetic, but He also says that we are called to have feelings of brotherly love. To be brotherly. Peter here brings us back, if you remember, uh, to something he's already taught us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He said, if you recall, we, we, we talked about uh, how to have a purified heart or a changed soul which will result in a love for the brethren. That was our main point when we dealt with that sermon. And Peter is calling you and I to love within the human relationships that we have, especially those within the community of the faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here, he is calling us to love the brethren 
as a people who are closely related. That, that is what it's portraying. Okay? How is it we can begin to love each other as brothers and sisters? How is it? We sometimes don't treat each other like we should. Because I think sometimes we're still trying to figure out if they're truly our brothers or sisters or not. And there should be no doubt. You know, we had this motorcycle rally out here. And, and as, as I come, I, I began to observe and see what was happening. And one of the things that I told Tim was, you know, what's so refreshing about this is I asked his brother, how can I become a member of the, the Christian Motorcycle Association? He said, well, Stuart, you've got to read a book, you've got to take a few tests, and then you can get a vest. Because I wanted a vest, you know. I mean, I don't, I'm not a motorcycle rider, but I wanted one of those vests with the big logo on the back. But he said, no, you've got to take some tests. But what that tells me is that everybody standing out there with a vest on has already been tested. And I thought to myself, how great would that be if we in the universal body of Christ could look out and see that is my brother, that is my sister. Why? Because they are wearing a vest. <laughs> Wouldn't it be easy then? Well, you see, God gives us this thing. He says, you will know them by their fruits. And if we're not bearing fruits, it's hard to determine whether someone's our brother or sister or not. Because I'm not called to be a fruit inspector, but I am given the discernment that if you don't bear fruit, you're probably not in the household of faith or you're a very mature plant that God is continually growing. And then it's my job to teach you and to grow you and to disciple you to make sure that you are what you claim to be. And so I wonder sometimes if we don't show love because we're not really sure that we're brothers or sisters with each other. Because if you know it's your brother, listen, My brother doesn't live here. But I have several brothers within this church. And I can tell you what, I can tell you this. If you were to talk about me, I'm okay with that. But if you start talking about one of my elders, I'm going to stand up. Because they're my brothers. And I'm called to watch out for one another. I'm going to stand up for them. That's what we need to be. When you hear a brother or sister gossip about a brother or sister, you need to say, yo, that's my brother, that's my sister. Don't you talk about them. You need to glorify them, lift them up. Make them look good. Oh, you must be mistaken. Not him. I'm going to defend you. He calls us to be brotherly. The Greek word here is this. Philae del false. Okay, it's where we get our word Philadelphia. Okay? The first part of the word stems from the word phileo, which means love. A love, not just like, I love you, brother. No, a love like we are closely related. You, you, listen, everybody's got a brother or sister, most likely. If you don't, you've got a mom and a daddy. And don't let nobody talk about your mom and daddy because you love them. And you're closely related. That's what we need to have. Brotherly love. Brotherly, sisterly love for one another. He says, let us love each other as if we were related to each other. Because we are. We're related by God the Father. 
And we are all indwelt with His Holy Spirit. And we all have something in common and we're all related some way. But He also says, be kind-hearted. This word kind-hearted is kind of weird. As I studied it, you know, it's really a difficult word from the Greek to translate into English. And so when you read different translations, there's a bunch of different words used. But kind-hearted is, is a little weird because it refers to the internal organs. Now, I don't know how you get kind-hearted out of internal organs. But what, the, what it's trying to express is the feeling that you get. And you know, we use it every day. We say, you make me sick to my stomach. Right? You hate somebody so bad they make you sick to your stomach. Or you're a pain in the backside. We use these, this terminology in everyday life. But really, it deals with affections and emotions that we have this gut feeling, this kind-heartedness, this goodness with inside. We desire for one another joy and not suffering and not pain. Listen, when you see your brother suffering, you should have this gut pain. When I hear of some of the struggles that the people in our church are going through, it keeps me up at night sometimes. Because I'm gutted. I'm, I feel this pain in my stomach. Because I don't want my brothers and sisters to have to go through these things. You must be deeply concerned for one another. How about that? Is that easier? Deeply concerned. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Isn't God kind-hearted toward us? <laughs> Isn't He concerned about us deeply? I like the King James Version here. It says, Be pitiful. What do you mean, be pitiful? Like, like I'm sad? No. Show pity for one another. Isn't it that what God did for man? God showed pity on us. Because without God's move to reestablish relationship with Him, we would have been living a pitiful life. But God in His great mercy has shown pity to us by sending His Son Jesus Christ that we might have life. And not only that we might have life, that we might have life abundantly. And He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let us show pity for each other as God has also shown us pity. We are called to be kind-hearted and also to live humble in spirit. To sum it up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Another way that we can enjoy the goodness of the Christian walk is to have a joyful life. And to have a joyful life is to be humble. Another way to say that, uh, we see it in Philippians 2.3 is a great picture of this kind of lifestyle. He says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
Now, this is hard, but it's a reality. We can do it. But it takes work and it takes time and it takes the Holy Spirit's transforming power in our lives. This was the attitude of Jesus Christ. He considered you and He considered me better than Himself. Philippians 2 or Matthew 11.29 tells us that this was His lifestyle. That He was humble. Philippians 2.8 says this, Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You want to know what it is to be humble? It's to have self-sacrificial love for one another. To give up your life for the brethren. That's what love is. Do we truly love one another? Jesus was humble. And I love it when we can see Jesus as our example. When He gives us a life example of how to follow. Because He, in John, tells us greater things than these you will do because I go to the Father. He goes to the Father that He might send the Helper. See, we need to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt with something unbelievers are not indwelt with. And so when we act like unbelievers, it makes no sense. Because we've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. So why are we living like the rest of the world? We need to tap into this untapped potential, so to speak. The power of the Holy Spirit. So that we can be humble, so that we can become humble. Now, it wouldn't have been very humbling if I would have posted up the golf score from yesterday up here. Because I won. <laughs> and so I didn't do it. I thought about it, just to get a laugh, but it was fun. We had a good time. But sixthly, he says, be forgivers. Are you a forgiver or are you a grudge holder? You're either one or the other. Either forgive or you hold grudges. Either forgive or you hold grudges. We not only have the right attitude and the right qualities that, that I hope will result in right behavior, but we also are called to have a proper response when we are wronged. When we are wronged. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes, and if not sometimes, sometime, in some place you'll be wronged. And how you respond to that will be a great comparison to see if you are a forgiver or a grudge holder. Because we will all be wronged. If it's not me wronging you, it's going to be you wronging me. Or you wronging another brother or sister in Christ. Because we are still sinful in the flesh. He says this, number, verse 9, Not returning evil for evil, insult for insult, but living a blessing instead. But giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. We are not called to fire back. And let me tell you, that's difficult. If we want to respond. How dare you speak to me that way? And we fire back. Bam. You know, this is a learning process for all of us. Because our flesh will jump right back if we are not in control. Let me give you a real life example. 
I didn't tell my wife I was going to do this, but I decided to do it, so buckle down, baby. <laughs> Thursday night, uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, you know, my parents came in for vacation, and I thought, what a great idea to take them to Missoula. You know, that's a great place, right? So we went shopping at Walmart. <laughs> so we, we, we took, took them there to, to, to get some things we needed, and, and, and so we stopped at a few places, and finishing up that trip, we had to make one last stop to the famous Walmart. And we walked in, and, and as we walked in, it was, it's kind of funny, you got four adults and four children, and we walk in, we go three different directions. You know, of course, I go exactly where we need to go to get what we need. Dad goes somewhere, I don't know where he's going, and Jen, she just goes to the, the, the hair stuff, you know, and she's got the kids. Well, they're standing there waiting on someone in front of them to, to, to move out of the way. Well, my, my daughter Annabelle's pushing Eli in the cart in front of Jennifer, so they got two carts, because we need like one thing, so we need three carts, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, the, the, Jennifer's standing there, I'm way on the other side of the store, Dad's way over here with Elisa, and Jennifer's standing in, in the aisle right by the pharmacy section, and, and the lady starts popping off at the mouth. Taking so long, I don't know. I, you know, it's kind of secondhand information because I wasn't there. But the lady started hollering because they weren't moving. And the question that was asked was, "What's the holdup?" And Jen's standing right there, and the lady goes, "It's some blankety blank kids holding us up." The Lord's name in vain, by the way. So you can see how offensive that would have been. Now, we come from the South. Okay, we shoot things. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't like have this conservation thing that they got in Montana. We kill animals, okay? We grew up in an area where fighting was pretty prevalent. I mean, it was pretty normal. And them fighting words from where we come from, especially when you're talking about your kids. And I really believe that God tested her. And not me, because He knew if I was there, I probably would have been an example of failure. Um, but, but now Jennifer, you know, uh, kind-hearted, I'm sure wanted to lash back out. She could have blasted back in anger. But she simply turned around and said, those, those are my children. And... They're waiting on someone in front of them to move. And the conversation continued from the other side and Jennifer just kind of moved on. But the flesh wants to pay back evil for evil. The flesh wants to lash back out. But when you are trying to live a godly life, we are called not to pay back evil with evil. Now, if I would have been there, uh, I would have simply said something to my, my kids. I'd have turned around and said, Kids, do you remember when we studied in the Bible about the woman by the name of Jezebel? 
But, uh, you know, I wasn't there. Praise the Lord, I was alone by the jars. Not too much problems by the jars, you know. So now, while this illustration makes sense, the word that is used for evil here means someone that has an evil disposition. Someone who consistently deals out evil. They have this disposition, and, and maybe this lady had the disposition of evil. We don't know her, but it seemed to be a normal way of life. Because we were in Walmart, and she was talking to my kids about 10 feet from her. We are not to attack, we are called to bless. You're called to bless them. Not bless them out, but bless them. Now I tried to think of a way that Jennifer could have blessed these, these ladies. And I decided that laying on of hands wasn't the right time. But maybe they could have broke out in prayer for the lady right there. I don't know. How do you bless? I felt like she did bless her because she didn't fight back with her. She could have gotten even with her. But the problem with getting even is you're really getting even. You're getting right down on their level. And when we make that mistake, I think the worst feeling we have is that we've stooped to their level. When we lash back out, we stoop to their level. And we're just like they are. We're no different. And yet we're crucified with Christ. And we need to have some transformational change. And so when we do that, we need to repent, ask their forgiveness, ask God's forgiveness, and be at peace within as much as you can be at peace in your heart that you are truly repented of it and move on. Don't let Satan hold you over some sin that you've done in your life and hold you down. You stand up, you repent, and you be right with God and that other person. Romans 12, 17-21 gives us a great understanding of why we do not repay evil for evil. He says this, Never repay back evil for evil to anyone. Why? Well, he says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And then he says this, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, now I will repay. God is in control. He knows what you're going to go through. But it's not our job. It's God's job. Let's don't try to take God's job. So when someone lashes out an evil, we need to have this ingrained in our hearts. We need to have this memorized in our hearts. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. Maybe you could offer him some food, Jennifer. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. You see what he said there. Do not be overcome with evil. When people lash out on you in evil and you respond back to them, you've been overcome by evil. You've now become the evil one. But instead of becoming evil, overcome the evil with doing good. And let me tell you what. You want to drive somebody crazy? Bless them when they persecute you. Da-da-da-da-da! I love you and I'll be praying for you, brother and sister. Just bless them. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you in this. You pile up heaps of burning coal upon their head with the goodness you offer. That's hard. But when we realize that we are not the righteous judge. You see, we're not righteous judges. God is. And God is taking very care of us and we can trust in Him and allow Him to handle the situation. We are called to live like this for the very purpose that we might inherit a blessing. We have received the ultimate forgiveness. The ultimate blessing through Jesus Christ. And every day we sin and God doesn't pay back evil with evil. No, His forgiveness is eternal. And so is our life if we are in Christ. The second point, he says, Peter illustrates the difference between good and evil. I know some of you are worried I'm on like 35 minutes already and I'm just on point two. But don't worry, i got one more page. It's a pretty quick point. He says in verses 10 to 12, For the one who desires life, to love, to see good days, must keep his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. If we desire a good life, we must stay away from speaking evil. If you have been talking bad about someone uh, and a believer, you're most likely not having the greatest time in your life right now. Because the one who desires good days, life and love must keep his or her lip from speaking deceit. Verse 11 says, He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. What is it that we must do? We must seek peace and pursue it. And let me tell you, pursuing something takes work. Now, I come from South Carolina. It's pretty flat there, you know, like the beach. I come here to Montana, and Chris Copenhaver tells me i got to go up to the top of that mountain to kill an elk. Okay? If I'm going to pursue that animal, it's going to be a lot of work. Well, if we're going to pursue peace, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be tough. He says in the last verse here, this is why. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You think about a people that are being persecuted for their faith, that are being dipped in oil and lit alive. To light up Rome. You think about a people who are being killed for sport. Because they worship Jesus Christ. 
because their teachings, because their way is narrow, these people were under great distress. And these are great words of encouragement for those who serve their King. And listen, they are still great words of encouragement for us today. Great words. This week, when you are wronged, how will you handle it? Unity within our body is a must. And when we are wronged, you keep your eyes unto the Lord. You remember, vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus saith the Lord. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. But His face is against those who do evil. Listen, we can choose to repay and become evil. We can't expect a blessing from God if we repay evil with evil. That doesn't mean you won't ever do it. But listen, our strength is in the power of Jesus Christ. He came to conquer death that we might conquer sin. And if you failed a hundred times this week, you get back up and you try it again. And you trust in Jesus Christ that He will empower you to not repay back evil with evil. You can't live in your life in continual sin if you're a believer. It's impossible. The Holy Spirit will convict you so bad you won't be able to sleep at night. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God doesn't promise to hear the prayers of those who do evil. But He does promise to the righteous. His ears attend to their prayers. Do you find encouragement out in this morning? That God is listening to your petitions. Don't continue to do evil. But begin to live in Christ and live a life of righteousness. Remember, He who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. When God sees you, He sees you as holy and righteous. Your salvation is not hurt, but your joy could be affected. Let us pray.